0: Good morning. Just want to. Some of these things are in the bulletin, but uh, just in case you weren't aware, you missed it. Obviously, uh, Ken Dooley passed away this past. Well, actually, was last week. Service was yesterday, and uh, if you were able to attend that service, God was absolutely honored and and really glorified. And um, through uh, the life of Ken, and just uh, obviously, you need to be in prayer for. Catherine and his son, Scott, Seth, the Dooley family, and uh, he is missed. In my own personal thoughts, Ken was one of those unique individuals that when you walked, when he was in your presence or you were in his presence, he was one of those very unique individuals that um, he just made you feel better. He, uh, whatever's going on in your life, if you walked into the presence of Ken, he he did. He had that very, I think, unique and rare gift to uh, make people feel ill at ease and even just better. And so I know he will be missed. Uh, got a call last night. Kayleen and Dave. They sit right back over there. Some of you know them. And um, he was raised in this community. And then he left for years as he was pursuing a career. And they've moved back to the old family farm. They've been attending here for almost two years now. Kayleen fell last night. They have a a wooden rail around their property. Um, and apparently David said it was painted. It looked uh, sturdy, but she had put herself against it and it broke. She fell and she broke her wrist. Uh, didn't have any broken uh, ribs, but she's in a lot of pain. And, uh, uh, they had been just planning a trip to Colorado. Don't know if they're going to be able to do that. But Kayleen, please keep uh, Kayleen in your prayers. I know that would be much appreciated. And then uh, Audrey Blevins. Um, she is uh, uh, Zach and Josie's little girl. And just sweet bundle of energy. Uh, she had her tonsils and adenoids taken out this week. And it's... Uh, That would be tough uh, for anybody. So keep the Blevins family in your prayers. So this morning, I want you to go to the book of Ephesians. And uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last week. I had an absolutely fabulous class with a youth group this morning. Uh, We camped out on this passage of scripture. And I started, before we got to the passage, I wrote on the the whiteboard. I said, "Um, I live my life like blank. So I live my life like, or, and then I ask them to describe, uh, what would your parents say? Uh, you know, what would Shelley, and Mark say? Braden is like this, or Hudson is like this, or uh, David and Dawn, Grace is like this, and they live their life this way. And, and then I ask them, what would the siblings say about each other? I got some interesting answers to that. Uh, but what would your, what would the blank say in your life? I live my life like, and then you would, depending on relationships, your mom and dad may say one thing, your best friend may say one thing, a sibling may say one thing, an enemy, if you have one, may say one thing. That as they look at our life and as we look at our life and the people around us uh, examine us, what would the blank say? So-and-so lives their life. What would you say about yourself? I live my life. My life looks like this. And so when you go to the book of Ephesians the 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 premier verse of the whole book is about chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God of our Lord and Father, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The entire letter to the Ephesians that he spent at least two years with. And you can read about it in the book of Acts, very close personal relationship with the Ephesians, a lot of dynamics there. Church was established through the mission work of Paul there. So again, he spent two days, said that he was teaching them daily. And so uh, this letter then, now he's an older man, he's a prisoner. He He writes this letter to them and And uh, it's just such a powerful letter for so many different reasons, inspired by the Holy Spirit, but really he is emphasizing, using this letter as a teaching tool uh, to let them know if you didn't know what every spiritual blessing that came from heaven, established in heaven in Christ would look like. That's what the book's about. You, You could just take a chart or you could take... Uh, a pad, and you could just say spiritual blessings established in heaven, in Christ, and what they are. And so each chapter, each verse, each to all the doctrine and theology is the proof of that statement. So we think we know what blessings are, and, and Paul really clearly says, if you didn't know, this is what they are. This is a book about every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so the first chapter, he spends the entire first chapter uh, up to the prayer, the first prayer that Paul uh, just read, explaining, and he uses the personal pronoun. He, him, his, his self. I've done this before. I've shared this with you before. I'm recapping that everything that God did for us through Christ, all those blessings, and they're just one right after the other. And then in the second chapter, then he shifts and he starts talking about you and me and our and us. So God, first chapter, he did all this stuff in the form of a spiritual blessing for us in Christ. Second chapter, now contrast that to you and I. Verse one, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. And that is just a reference to the satanic. It says, you and I, we formerly walked to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air. Without Christ, we're dead. And this is how we're living. And then verse 3, again, a reminder, among them, personal pronouns, them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the wrath. Third chapter, he shifts again. And now he starts talking about himself, I. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner, verse 1, of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. uh, He just goes on. And that third chapter is a response to chapter 1 and 2. Chapter 1, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places from Christ is based upon everything that God did for us in Christ. And there's the list. Chapter 2, you and I, we didn't deserve it. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Chapter 3, though. After he explains what God did for us, even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, is a list now of the way we should, what's my responsibility? God did this, even though I was this way, and so now I have a personal responsibility. His was a ministry to the Gentiles. So in the letter, very ending the recap here, uh, throughout the letter he makes a statement. And it's just like you would with your parents or somebody or your children or somebody that worked with you. You'd say, Let me tell you something here, whatever it is. This is what this is all about. This is the truth here. So, therefore, since it's the truth, you and I probably have a responsibility then, if we understand that, to to live for this reason, we ought to live and act this way. The whole letter is based upon that. God did this in the form of a spiritual blessing, He did it through Christ even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins. So therefore, throughout the book, he's saying, therefore, you and I have a responsibility. And then he would say, for this reason, you ought to act and live this way. It's a whole book. It's a great, just spiritual, logical, interpretive letter that is just, it's like a domino effect of everything that is good and right and spiritual. And that is a blessing And then our responsibility and how we ought to react to it. But he does eight different times in this letter. He creates an impossible situation. And last week we had Paul read out of the the Gospel of Matthew where the rich young ruler comes. And he he wants to know what he can do to obtain eternal life. And if you're familiar with the story, Jesus uh, puts him in an impossible situation. It was impossible for him. He wanted to know which commandments that he needed to keep. He said, well, keep these. There were six of them out of over 600. And then the rich young ruler says, well, okay, is there anything else I lack? He said, yeah, you do. You lack one thing. And you can see the mental process. He says, go and sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come follow me. And the impossible situation, the weight of it, uh, he said he went away sad because he was one who owned many possessions. And his apostles, his disciples, uh, ask him, well, then, then who can be saved? And he said, uh, yeah, it's, it's more difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than a camel through the eye of a needle. And they said, well, that's impossible. Well, then who can be saved? And he says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And so Paul in this letter. He gives eight impossible scenarios. We went over two of them last week. The first one was dealing with that impossible scenario. You and I were dead in our trespasses and sins. And I've said to you before in this setting, what can you do if you're dead? If you're dead, there's nothing you can do. And the reasons that we were dead. Is because of the way we lived. We lived in a satanic, whether we recognized it or not, either you're spiritually walking with God or you're dead and, and, and unspiritually following the satanic, whether you're aware of it or not. It's an impossible situation. And because of that, there, we have been sons of disobedience. We've lived in the lust of our flesh. We've indulged the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. That's who we were, and that is who we are in an impossible situation unless God does something. And then this is the first one. This is the first but. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. And so we talked about that last week. I'm not going to re-preach that sermon. But that was the first impossible situation. Dead in our trespasses of sins. Whether we're aware of it or not. Following a satanic course. In our secular living fleshly life. Um, and it's an impossible situation. But it's not impossible for God. Because of his great love. And this mercy that he has. And so there's the standard. The second one. Is then As he continues, he goes and he talks about that there's another dynamic at play that's an impossible situation for us. And that is, he says, that if you'll just read in verse 12, that without, without God intervening, that we're separate from Christ, verse 12, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world." That's an impossible situation for you and I. If it says there's no hope, not some hope, no hope. And it says without God, without God in the world. Impossible. But he took the impossible and he made it possible. And how did he do it? But there's that word, the second use of it in this letter. Impossible. Not really. You and I? Yeah. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly, were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I referenced uh, Leviticus 17, how atonement is, the life of everything is in the blood for atonement. Um, And so the impossible situation was, is that you and I were far off, without hope, excluded from God. But because of the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, what did he do? He brought us near by the blood of Christ. He made our impossible situation possible. And so now the third one, the third one, go to me uh, into chapter four, chapter four. And this goes back to what I did with the youth group this morning. You fill in the blank. I live my life like, what would people say about me? Well, so-and-so's like this. And so this is another one of those scenarios. Paul read both those prayers. And then in all these impossible situations, uh, he, he gives us another impossible scenario. Verse one of chapter four. Because of everything God did through Christ, even though we were dead in our sins, And now I have a personal responsibility. I'm supposed to look like this. And everybody who knows me, sees me, and thinks of me should be able to fill in this blank. If we're Christian, receiving every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, there's only one way to fill in that blank. And it should be evident. So I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord entreat you. He says, I beg you to live in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. I therefore the prison of the Lord entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. If you had sat with Paul for two years daily in his teaching and he understood everything, Genesis through Malachi, he understood the two-edged sword of scripture, you would have been told over and over again. In fact, he uses a Greek term that they understood. These, these were not Jews. They were Gentiles. They were like you and I. And the word that he would have used is calling. Now, the Greek understood it this way. We, you could say a calling is something that you believe that I was made for this. This is my calling. This is uh, what I was supposed to do with my life. Many of us spend our whole life trying to figure out what our calling is. The the Gentiles thought of it differently. They understood calling the way it was intended to be understood. There is a connection. But for them, the very term calling meant to do a voice. So like you call someone. You're on the front porch, and your kids are out in the neighborhood, and they say, Julius, it's time. We're calling you home. That was it. It's in its simplest form. We're calling you to the place that you need to be now. So the calling that is part of this, what's my calling? Well, I think my calling is this. My calling is to, you know, uh, play music. My calling is to build a business. My calling is whatever it is might be in your life. I don't know. But at some point in the growing up of our life with what am I supposed to do with my life? And so then we kind of figure it out, and hopefully, if you're lucky enough, you can pursue that. Many times, people end up just living a life where they've missed whatever that calling would be. But the Apostle Paul, teaching these people, it was the voice, the calling was based upon the voice that was calling you home. And for him, the way he taught it was there was only one place in all of eternity and one moment in all of eternity that if you're a Christian who has received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, the moment that happened, the, the moment that the voice resonated, the moment that the voice boomed, the moment that the voice screamed out to all of humanity was the moment of the cross. That no matter what had ever taken place before, up until the cross... No matter what it was. That if, you, if, a, if a man or a woman or an individual didn't know what their calling was, there would be a moment in history that had to do with every spiritual blessing that originates in heaven in Christ, and it was the cross. It was Golgotha. And the voice says, sinner, come home. It made everything that is impossible in our life, are dead in our sins. It made everything, the distance that is far off. But By the way, and I mentioned this last week, you were far off. And I mentioned there's nothing far off anymore. There's no distance that's far off. We can get in a jet, be anywhere in the world. There's no information that's far off. But when he uses this term, but even though you and I, those of us, we were far off, it literally meant you couldn't see it and you couldn't measure it. So it was not far the way you and I think. It's an impossible situation. And so now this is this third impossible situation. The, he says, I'm begging you to walk in a manner worthy of the cross. That's what he's saying. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, the voice that called you home as a sinner with which you've been called. You and I have been called. If you didn't know what you're calling Was as a Christian, you, your calling, my calling is to live our life in a manner worthy of the cross. Now, the next passage creates the impossible scenario for us because he mentions these are what are called the stations of the cross. These are the stations, the characteristics of the cross. So, if you didn't know how to live your life in a manner worthy of the cross, verse 2 it clears it up with all humility. Not some humility, but all humility. I asked the kids this morning and I think it was Zane. Was it Zane? I said, what is uh, humility? And they were, well, I don't know. And Zane, what did you just say? What did you say? Do you remember what he said? It's putting others first. Ultimately that would be it, isn't it? Now Jesus would take it even a step further. He'd say even your enemies, but humility. So, uh, With all humility, gentleness, patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. And that means that it doesn't matter what's going on in my life. It doesn't matter what you've done to me. It doesn't matter what's happening in my life. I'm going to forbear. I am going to just, I'm going to live in love if it kills me. Literally. There's nothing that's going to remove me from the goal of love. Nothing. Nothing that is a spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. These are the stations of the cross. I beg you to live in a manner with the, of the cross, and if you don't know what that looks like, there's humility, gentleness, patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. You can just read it right here in one of the prayers. He said, listen, there's, I want you to be able to comprehend something, and the peace and the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. But if you're honest with yourself, if you look in the mirror, there is this impossible situation. If we're honest, if we're not like the Pharisee in the temple who believed that he could stand and say, God, thank you for not making me like other men because I'm a very obedient person and I even tithe all the smallest, did the smallest thing. So there are people like that. Romans 10 and 1, my prayer is for the Jews because they have a passion for God but not in accordance with righteousness because they're trying to establish their own. So there's those folks. God's going to have to sort them out. I mentioned last week the most depressing place in the New Testament is where Jesus in Matthew 25 says there are going to be people that say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, depart from me. I don't know who you are. But in this situation, if we're honest, if I I have been called to live my life in a manner of the cross, I have to say with all, not some, not trying, not striving, not with just a little bit, not 90% and 10%, I have to be humble all the time. I have to be gentle all the time. I have to be patient all the time. I have to love. It's got to be forbearing. I need to preserve unity in the bond of peace all the time. Now, I just ask anybody here, when you look in the mirror, could you say, could you honestly say, could any of us say that I can look in the mirror believing that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ has been given to me, even though I was dead in my trespasses and sins, even though I was following a satanic course, living according to the world, and far off from God? But his great mercy and his great love and his blood took care of that. And so, no- praise God. <laughs> yeah, that was a good check mark, wasn't it? I'll tell you what. If that doesn't make the point, what could? I, you know, that's, Jesus says, I'm gonna, the heavens are going to open. And it's going to be a twinkling in the eye and his voice thunders from the heavens. The word of God is like a two-edged sword, powerful anyway. So the impossible situation. Look at I look in the mirror, and I'll just ask you: Could you say? Could I say that Aubrey, I'm living according to the cross. I am. I'm humble. I'm gentle. I'm man forbearing. Him, I'm patient. I want unity. I want peace. I can't do it. I want it. And I'm, like Paul, I'm begging God to help me to live in a manner worthy of the cross. And then it gets worse. If you've not ever read these words the way they were intended, you, if you didn't, if you, if you, maybe there was somebody in the Ephesian congregation That was thinking, yeah, I'm a pretty humble guy, I'm gentle, I'm patient, yeah, I love, I even love my enemies. Yeah, I I want unity and peace, maybe. And you may not read these words, maybe you've never read them this way, but then he does something that creates an impossible scenario. There's one body, all these one words, one body, one spirit, just as you were called, the voice from the cross, in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And really what he was saying, and and he's already given you some measurement issues right here in the first two prayers. We'll get back to that quickly. But he's saying, live your life in a manner worthy of the cross. Here's what it looks like. Humility, gentle, patience, forbearance, and love, unity, peace. I can't do that. It's impossible. And then it's based upon a supreme one thing, one, one, not two, not three, not a multiplicity, if you didn't know, and you could just preach a month of sermons on the body, the spirit, the hope, the calling, the Lord, the faith, the baptism, and it's all under the umbrella of one God and Father who of all, who's over all, and through all, and in all And the scenario is, if you understand it the way it was written and the way it was taught, is like, I have to live my life in a manner worthy of the cross? I can't do that, there's too much in my life, there's too much division, there's too much anger, there's too much weakness, there's too much disease, there's too much uh, politics, there's too much whatever. And then it's based upon all of these spiritual things that seem to be out of my reach, it's way beyond religion, it has to do with the supremacy of a God, That if I understand it in its fullness, this is overwhelming. So the impossible situation is made possible. And I asked the kids this morning. I said, okay, so would you like to be humble and gentle and patient and loving when it's impossible or seems impossible? Diligent, preserving unity, peace, would you? And yet you know I can't. And then it's all based upon the supremacy of God who fills all and in all, and it's just there. And I look at that and think, how could I ever reach up? I couldn't do that. It's not in me. I am a wretched man. Like Paul said, oh, wretched man, who will free me from this body of death? Romans and 7. I'm like, Paul, I'm the chief of sinners, not was. I am. I'm like, Paul, I have to die to sin daily. This is an impossible place for me to be. And I mentioned to the kids this morning, I said, Grace, and all of you, give me a standard. If there was something you really wanted, I mean, you just wanted it. You just wanted it. Whatever it might be. But you knew maybe it was a massive piece of property. Maybe it was a yacht. Maybe it was some kind of just something. You know, whatever it might be. And yet in your mind, if you looked at it, you would hope for it. And you think, well, I'd like to. But I'm just not sure. In fact, if really, you say that's impossible. Unless just something crazy happens, I'll never earn enough money. I'll never have enough position in life. And in fact, the writer of Proverbs said, the deception of wealth is that it can never, the desires of the eyes can never be fulfilled. It doesn't matter if you're living on welfare, wanting something, and then you get it, you want something more. It doesn't matter if you're middle class, upper middle class. It doesn't even matter if you're wealthy. There's always something that you want more of. It's always something. It's, the scripture's true. The desires of the heart, the eyes, of the flesh, it cannot be fulfilled. But so in this situation, if we're honest, this is an impossible situation. And so how did, what did God do to make it possible? What if, whatever it is that you hope for, in this case, this is how he's begging us to live our life. What if it was that? What if it should be? Maybe you've never contemplated it in your Christian life. Maybe you've never contemplated the calling of the cross. Maybe you've never said, not only do I not have humility, I certainly don't have all humility. Not only do I not have gentleness and patience, forbearance and love. Because every one of those things were accomplished on the cross. It was the most humble, gentle, forbearing, loving, uniting, peaceful moment in the history of man. He could have called 10,000 angels. And you and I exist today. And we live today. And we have breath today. Because of the life that was worthy of the cross. And you say, well, nobody can live up to that, Aubrey. Then this is not true. This verse is not true if that's the case. But, verse 7, that each one of us grace was given. Do you live your life? Do you? You, not me, not, I have to ask myself that, you. Because nobody is going to stand before Christ on the judgment day when the heavens open and the thunder is going to be overwhelming and the trumpet will sound. No one will be able to stand there, nobody you know, and say, listen, grace was given to that person, they didn't live up to it, but let me make a case for them. Because the possible only becomes, the impossible only becomes possible when each one of us, each one of us, understands that something was given to me that I could not get, and that was grace. According, now here it is, the measure of Christ's gift. Have you ever stopped to think about your life with God? And the picture is very clear that when God looked at AY or me or Tucker or any of us, and he knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb. He measured a gift. According to grace, he measured a gift. He measured a gift. In Romans in chapter 5, it says that uh, the love of God was poured out in our heart through the spirit. And that maybe somebody might die for a wicked man, but God, in his great love, he, when we were yet wicked, he died for us. And it was the gift that made the impossible possible. Have you ever looked at your life and said, this is impossible? And then said, okay, something happened. Christ measured a gift. He measured it. And said, I'm going to give Scott and Hannah and Chris and Rick, I'm going to give you the right amount. You can't buy it. You cannot purchase it. You can't work for it. You can't educate yourself. And in the heavenly places, Christ determined knowing before you were born how much grace you were going to need. And he knew exactly how to measure it. And that's what he did. And it's what made the impossible possible. He made... The impossible, possible. And it's a gift. A gift that he measured out. This is a pocket watch. I have a picture of my grandfather in 19, uh, I believe it was uh, 12. And he was a uh, telegrapher in uh, uh Tennessee of it, there was a train station that went through there, and this is an Elgin, and uh, so it's over 100 years old, and it's, it's immaculate. And if I opened up the back of this, you can see all the mechanisms working. It's just amazing, and it, and it keeps time perfect. And it's a hundred and seven years old and i I am exactly almost a minute away from going too far in my sermon. that's okay I'm going to quit, but I, this was a gift, and what's so unique about it, if you open up the back is the handcraftsmen back then whoever whoever they were they they I think they made things better back then i don't know I'm probably not going to open it up because you don't need to see that, but if you wanted to. But I have a picture of him, and he's got this at the train station. And it's a gift. Pretty valuable, isn't it? It was out of my reach. How could I get it? And, you know, every day my granddad would pick this out, and he'd look at it. And he was such a gentle man. He was a humble man. And he was a forbearing and loved man. And I saw the evidence of Christ in his life. And so this pocket watch reminds me of this impossible situation. And so I want you to leave this morning, and I want us, as we've come to worship, I want you to consider what Paul is asking us. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beg you to live your life in a manner worthy of the cross. And if you don't know what it looks like, it's humble and gentle and forbearing and patient and uniting and peaceful. And if you think that you cannot do that, you're right. But if you think that the one who did it has the power to give you a gift that he measured so that you can do it. Then you begin to understand the gospel. Maybe you don't understand the gospel that way. But friends, that's the gospel. Let's pray. Father in heaven, um, thank you again for doing the possible with our impossible lives and our impossible minds and hearts and selfishness, thank you for doing the possible. Father, I pray that each of us could be reminded every day um, of the, the voice that called us home from the cross. And then as we look in the mirror and say, I could never live up to that, that we're reminded that your son took a measuring cup out and he filled it with grace and he poured it into our hearts so that we could. And it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.